Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're continuing our team-by-team, division-by-division season previews with the Baltimore Ravens. We've already done the entire AFC East, and we just got done doing the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC North. We're going to be covering the Ravens today from just a team preview overall perspective, as well as getting into some betting and fantasy talk. If you don't follow us on Twitter, be sure to do so at TNF underscore podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm joined as always by Mr. Parker Hurley. Parks, how you doing? Doing good. Yeah, really excited to uh, dig into the Ravens because as everyone's like zigging, they're one of the first teams like really hardcore zagging. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how that philosophy turns out. Parks and getting into a little bit of the offseason here, their assistant GM Eric DeCosta was officially replacing Ozzie Newsome back in January. They promoted tight ends coach Greg Roman to offensive coordinator, which we expected, and John Harbaugh got a three-year extension through 2022. Um, if you want to touch on any of that, feel free to do so. I'll start with the quarterbacks here, Parks. Um, Flacco is gone. RG3 gets a two-year deal. They drafted Trace McSorley at 197, and he's now um, doing some kick returning as well that I saw. But Lamar Jackson is obviously the focal point there, and I'll hand it off to you. Exactly. And, you know, the one thing that I'll really get into, and it goes into what you were saying, you know, um, Gabe Harbaugh extension, new GM, everything like that. Um, They're fully invested into Lamar Jackson now, and that's where I really just, you know, at at that rookie season, and you can go back and listen to – you, all the way from the beginning of the season because um, I had it pegged for a really long time um, where the Ravens were going to go, and I predicted the exact game because it was the Steelers game heading into the bye, and I was thinking if the Steelers beat them heading into the bye, they should move on to Lamar Jackson. Um, and, you know, like I said, you can listen to um, our Steelers preview the week before, the week before that. Um, I was, you know, talking about it, talking about it, and saying they finally made the right decision. Um, it was perfect timing in terms of um, – Jackson's progression. It was also perfect timing in terms of Flacco, you know, bombed himself just enough to, you know, the fans are finally buying in. But with that, you have to understand, like, this is coming from the person who, you know, like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but, you know, I predicted all this, like, picked up Lamar Jackson and said that he's probably going to make a run to the playoffs and all that stuff. So, you know, none of this was a surprise to me, but I'm also not taking anything away from his rookie season because their offseason before that, they were building for Joe Flacco still. You know, this was still a Joe Flacco team. When the Ravens are all in, they're all in. That's what's been shown by the fact that they're all in on Flacco. And then the minute that they pivoted, they pivoted hard. And they pivoted in a complete different direction. So, um, and now this they spent an entire other offseason going completely all in on Flacco. Or um, completely all in on Lamar Jackson. So, last season they didn't have the personnel. They didn't have the playbook. They were doing everything on the fly and saying that we such a good defense that if all we can do on offense is possess the football, then we're going to win. And they, you know, they took it all the way to the, to a playoff game. And um, I talked about it in the Josh Allen um, thing that everyone walks away from Josh Allen's rookie season with all these hints of, you know, rainbows and butterflies, because in week 17, he played the Miami Dolphins in a meaningless game. Lamar Jackson's last game was a meaningful playoff game. And everybody, you know, acts like that's, it was the worst game ever because he actually had to play a meaningful game as a rookie, you know, and guess what rookies, you know, rookie quarterbacks struggle in meaningful games, especially when the offense is not designed around them whatsoever. You know, it's like, wow, that's, I'm so surprised Lamar Jackson struggled in these situations. Um, I wouldn't write off Lamar Jackson whatsoever because you start to look into, and as we're going to get into, um, there's rookies scattered all over this offense. There's um, new design philosophy scattered all over this offense. Like you said, Greg Roman got promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, Two small moves because, you know, um, like I said, a lot of what they did last season was Joe Flacco involved, Um, you know, tried to get him, you know, some tight end help, tried to get him John Brown, everything like that. You know, we're still, they ran a Joe Flacco offense until they very couldn't, you know, but they brought in Greg Roman and they brought in RG3. And those were two hints to me um, before the season where I said they might be a sleeper to draft Lamar Jackson because, Greg Roman had his best success taking Colin Kaepernick to the Super Bowl with the 49ers. Then Greg Roman goes to the Buffalo Bills and gets Tyrod Taylor to the Pro Bowl. So you say, man, I know that, that's a nice spot for Lamar Jackson to roll into. And now you have the fact that the organization is committed to letting Greg Roman 
run similar offenses to what he's ran to get out the best of these similar profile players, except Lamar Jackson is um, more athletic with a better arm than both of them. So that's where, that's where you start to get into um, Lamar Jackson can't throw a football. And I'm just laughing. Like you didn't watch any of these games. Then you watched the first half of the playoff game, turned it off after the first half. And you only watched the first half of his playoff game and are judging him on that. Like that's a really weird sample size to judge somebody off of in the rookie season. Um, Especially where, like I said, as we're going to get into it, their offense is completely different and they're going to run a completely different style. And that's where I keep seeing people spout off, you know, success rates and everything like that. And I absolutely agree. They're going to be a run heavy offense. Um, you, there's just you don't draft Lamar Jackson and not use his legs, but um, I think they're going to be a completely different offense. Um, nothing like what we saw whatsoever because um, we're going to start as we get into this other personnel. I mean, um, they brought back Robert Griffin, and then like you said, Trace McSorley um, is like he's more of a kick returner than a quarterback in the NFL, but um, it still buys into the philosophy of um, and I've said it you know before that Cam Newton. And with the fact that Cam Newton's backup is Derek Anderson never made sense to me because like I don't think you're necessarily all that bought into the idea of what Cam Newton is because you know I don't know you just have like such a contingency plan you know ready and waiting they're completely invested in Robert Griffin's here to help um you know because he's been there done that you know um a guy that coached Tyrod Taylor and Kaepernick is there and Robert Griffin himself is there and then McSorley's there so he has a good support system and that's where um. Much more than a lot of people, um, I'm interested in him. And I talked about it with the Josh Allen thing. Um, and what's interesting is Josh Allen um, had more designed runs. And Josh Allen broke the pocket more than Lamar Jackson. So um, you got to look at that when you factor in with Lamar Jackson. But like I said with Josh Allen is that um, his rushing stats make him more valuable than a guy like Tom Brady in fantasy football. Because if he goes for 100 and a touchdown on the ground, that's 16 fantasy points on top of even if he doesn't do much passing the football, um, let's say he gets 10 fantasy points passing the football. That's a terrible day until you get 16 rushing and then you have 26 and you're actually a really good fantasy option. So um, I love Lamar Jackson in fantasy football. I love Lamar Jackson in best ball because you don't have to worry about when he's going to start because his rushing stats are just going to do it for him. But um, yeah, I love the fact that he's going to get um, goal line rushes. He's going to get um, goal line you know passes. He's going to get deep passes. He's going to get a hundred yards rushing everything. So um He's a decent little fantasy bet. Um, if you want to buy in, if you want to buy into the fact that he had a poor playoff game and that's the end of his career, then you wouldn't want to take him in fantasy. But otherwise, I think he's um, he's there's still enough stigma around him that he's going at a pretty decent value. Yeah, Parson, just what I wanted to add was I read that Greg Roman said that they're completely sh- stripping down and rebuilding the offense, you know, to fit around him. Because if you watch them at Louisville and you break down all these draft prospects for anyone that follows us knows that we talk about the draft as well. And he could throw from the pocket in Louisville. And I definitely want to add that um, every single year at Louisville, he got better as a passer. So, you know, you head into the NFL and, you know, every quarter, you know, most quarterbacks from year one to two, take a step. That's just, that's how progression works in the NFL as a quarterback. Um, you would assume the same for Lamar Jackson, especially when you look at his year to year progressions um, through college. Um, I, I do think that Lamar has a chance to take a step forward. Parks, we'll move on to, like we said, going to be still a run based um, offense here. Alex Collins, Ty Montgomery and Javoris Allen are all gone. Mark Ingram comes in from the Saints on a three-year deal. They take Justice Hill at 113, which, like we said, you know, when they're going all in, they're going all in here. And Gus Edwards gets a one-year deal, and I saw that he's down to 6% body fat, so he's taking his off-season conditioning pretty serious here, Parks. How do you feel about this running back group? Nice little mix here, and I feel like they're going to compliment Lamar really well. Exactly. That's what it's all about is complimenting Lamar. And that's what I think they're going to do. Um, it does start with Mark Ingram because he's going to be, you know, the power to the speed, you know, the thunder to the lightning and everything like that. That's Lamar Jackson. And, you know, talking about Robert Griffin, the third and everything, um, his breakout season, it was a real power player in, uh, Alfred Morris, who, you know, just takes what's given because so much is going to be given because Lamar spreads things out because linebackers have their eyes on him, not on, uh, you know, the slower player in Alfred Morris or AKA Mark Ingram, who I know is faster than Morris, but nonetheless, um, you get the idea that, you know, he's going to just have to plow right ahead and take what's given. And, you know, he's going to be able to get stuff um, as long as Lamar makes the right read on these like option type of decisions. So um, it puts Ingram into fantasy relevance. Um, I'm just not the 
I wouldn't take him in fantasy because of his uh, draft cost. I have him lower than where he typically goes. Um, one fear is the fact that Gus Edwards was actually really efficient with Lamar Jackson. Um, that's just a small thing because I do think obviously Ingram's much more talented than Gus Edwards. And I think that they got Ingram because they think that they can stick, take a step forward from the fact that Edwards was able to, because like I said, he, Edwards just took what was given and rode that into one of the most efficient seasons as a running back. If you put Mark Ingram in that role, you know, what the heck could he, he do? That could be impressive. But like I said, I think that's already baked into the idea of his draft co- draft costs. And the two reasons I don't like him are um, one, I think Lamar Jackson's going to steal his goal line carries. Lamar Jackson, uh, I think he led the NFL in goal line carries last season, and he only started half of the NFL's games. So uh, he likes to take it himself at the goal line. Uh, That helps him in fantasy. It doesn't help Mark Ingram in fantasy. This goes back to my um, another idea about Lamar Jackson is that He's actually durable. Um, he's ran all these, you know, what, three years at Louisville in a full season, um, leading the NFL and goal line carries, all that stuff. Um, never gets hurt, you know, never seems to take those hits. Um, so he actually has been durable through his whole entire career. Um, another reason just to kind of trust in him, in my opinion. But um, I do think whoever that plotter role is, it's going to be something. But I also think that he, I don't think Ingram's going to catch passes. And you go into the um, – when he's with Drew Brees, he actually was underrated as a pass catcher, um, mainly because when you think of Drew Brees, you know, stereotypical um, pro NFL quarterback, gets through his reads quickly and checks the football down. Um, when you think of Lamar Jackson, it's going to be, even if he gets through his reads quickly, he's not going to check the ball down because his instincts are to run the football at that point or to um, extend the pocket and make something happen, you know, in that regard. So he's actually not going to be looking to Ingram. So I think Ingram's going to lose goal line touches. And I think Ingram's going to lose catches. Um, You add that to Gus Edwards is still there from last season and I don't love it. And then you add that to the fact that um, I actually really like justice Hill and I keep getting um, justice Hill in all these fantasy leagues because he's going later than where I have him. You know, that's I just think he's the value of, of, of all these guys because like I said, while Ingram will be the downhill player, Justice Hill, in my opinion, will be the jet sweep player. And we'll kind of get into how it all connects together. And this goes back to the idea that they're so committed to Lamar Jackson and they're so committed to the speed of Lamar Jackson. Um, Justice Hill was the fastest player at the combine in terms of the running backs this season. So they add him immediately. Um, the interesting thing about Justice Hill is you go back to his freshman year at Oklahoma State. And he unseats Chris Carson. You know, Chris Carson is an undrafted free agent. Nobody knows who the heck he is. Um, He's a surprise of the Seattle Seahawks, everything like that. Why is that? Because everyone's saying this true freshman is starting over this guy. You know, why are we going to draft this guy coming into the NFL draft? Um, Turns out that guy is Chris Carson, and he's a starting running back for the Seahawks. Turns out Justice Hill at under 200 pounds is better than him. Um, Justice Hill has, I think it's two seasons of 300 yard um, or 300 carries. So um, just touches the ball a ton. And that was um, when that Oklahoma State offense was really firing. Um, Didn't uh, carry the ball as much last season, but caught the ball a little more last season. So um, really just from his freshman season on, and he's only 21 years old because he's a true junior coming out. Um, So, I mean, he's a young player, really excelled. Um, Like I said, unseating Chris Carson, who turned into an NFL running back. So, um, yes, he's undersized. That's going to hold him back pretty much forever. Um, the two things that you put on that is he has 300, a couple 300 carry seasons, which that's a lot of work for a smaller player, and that um, he's ran between the tackles extensively at Oklahoma State. Um, but like I said, I think the big thing you do is Lamar Jackson's in the shotgun, Mark Ingram's in the sidecar, Justice Hill is you know lined up to his right. You can motion him into the slot. It's a matchup identifier, and then you run jet sweep, and you can you know you uh, motion him to the right. And now he's running left as the snap is thrown. So Lamar Jackson has the football in his hands and he can hand it to Mark Ingram. And like I said, the holes will open up straight ahead for him to run straight forward. Lamar Jackson can take it one way or the other with his, with the ball in his hands. Um, He can run to the right. And then Justice Hill is running right to left in the jet sweep. Everything there freezes the linebackers because there's literally three ways of running it. Um, If you take Lamar out of it, there's still two ways of running it because if Lamar keeps it himself, now he's an option to throw the fall. And that's where this offense starts to get pretty interesting. Um, and that's where I really like Justice Hill. I think that um, he's going to catch like three or four of those jet sweeps. He's going to get like 10 carries in the backfield. Um, if Mark Ingram gets hurt, I wouldn't be stunned if they said, you know what, 10, um, 200 you know, pounds be damned. He's ran between the tackles at Oklahoma State. Um, it's going to be so wide open for him because of his speed and because of Lamar Jackson. 
Um, I think, you know, every once in a while, he's just going to rip off a 60 yard run. And that's why, especially in best ball fantasy leagues, I draft him uh, in like, I would say like 80% of the leagues I'm in, I have Justice Hill because um, every once in a while in that best ball, you don't even have to worry about starting him. And every time he breaks a big run, um, you're going to get points for it. And that's going to happen enough, like six or seven times. He's going to have like eight usable weeks. And then, like I said, if Mark Ingram gets injured, um, he's one of the best fantasy options in the whole entire thing. So um, I think, like I said, I think Ingram's catches are going to go down and that scares people from Justice Hill, but I think they're going to design passes for Justice Hill because he makes so much freaking sense in this offense and his speed moving right to left. Um, we're going to get into his receivers, but we're going to talk about, you know, um, Ingram has speed downhill. Lamar Jackson has speed right to left. And now Justice Hill has speed right to left. Um, if they start to add some vertical speed, then all of a sudden you say, well, they have speed in every which direction. Now it's all on Lamar to put it together. And like I said, Lamar at Louisville every year took those steps forward and slowly put it together there. So um, that's where it starts to get interesting really with Justice Hill. Um, and, and Tyler, Tyler Irvin um, is interesting to me only in the idea of Tyler Irvin is Justice Hill's backup. And what that shows to me is here's the thing. Once they went to Lamar Jackson, the first thing they did was traded for Ty Montgomery. Why? Ty Montgomery is everything I'm talking about. He's the jet sweet player. He puts all this stuff in motion, gets the wheels turning and all that. So like they have the same philosophy I have. Ty Montgomery stinks, so it didn't work, right? So what do they do? They go out and get Justice Hill, the literally the perfect player. Like there's not a better player in the entire draft. They're really, truly, like there's not a better player in the entire draft for this role. They go out and get the perfect player and put him right in this role. Not only do they do that, they add Tyler Irvin just in case they didn't get a guy like Justice Hill because they know this role is important. I'm telling you, this role is going to be important. It's going to get Justice Hill um, just enough touches to be fantasy relevant, and every once in a while he's going to have a huge week and you're going to want to be there for it. So um, that's where Irvin matters. Kenneth Dixon has a chance because um, if he can prove that he can run between the tackles, my thing is um, – Harbaugh just doesn't trust him at this point. You know, he's been suspended. He's had injuries. He has issues. Um, Harbaugh just doesn't trust him and I don't trust him. And I think if they, if they can trade him, they'll trade him. But um, that just speaks to this entire offense. Every player, you know, for the most part is just new. So um, that's what they're doing. They're rebuilding this thing around Lamar. Hey, Parkson, let's talk about his receivers here. Michael Crabtree and John Brown are gone. Willie Sneed is back. He's on the last year of his deal. Um, they ended up signing Seth Roberts to one-year deal. Not sure how much he'll impact the receiving core, but they also bring in Michael Floyd, took Marquise Brown 25th overall, and traded up to take Miles Boykin at 93, who I know is a sleeper wide receiver that we both really liked from Notre Dame Parks. Um, and then a bunch of guys really going to be competing for spots here, but headlined by the two rookies, Parks. How do you feel about this group? Absolutely, and it goes back to um... – Really, what I just said for two things. Um, one, Joe Flacco's players are gone. You know, Crabtree was a safety blanket. John Brown was the deep threat. They're gone. Um, you know, two, we're getting young speed in here. Um, Justice Hill was the fastest running back in the draft. Hollywood Brown obviously had a foot injury, but, um, you know, everyone thought he was going to be one of the fastest guys at the combine. Miles Boykin is a bigger player, but for his um, size, was the best speed-adjusted athlete in the entire draft. So you talk about speed and explosion in that regard. Um, you combine all this with Lamar Jackson, who's obviously fast himself, and you say, this is where you say, I stopped caring about everything that happened last season because none of this matters because none of these players are on the same team. Like, that's what, you know, I keep going back to that. And it just doesn't matter, in my opinion. It's all different. And um, the way that I kind of personally see it, in, um, especially I think Miles Boykin is key because um, I think Boykin's going to be the space. Um, he's going to be the real vertical threat deep down the football field. And that's what he did a lot of at Notre Dame. And it's unfortunately probably going to hurt him statistically. And I'm not looking at him at all in fantasy, um, at least, you know, maybe in on the waiver wires in like week five or six, if he comes around. But um, I think he has a chance to start on the outside because um, I think, you know, like I said, they're just so invested in this that um, they're not going to waste any time. And if they do lose because these guys are so young, they know that the next season they're all going to get better because of it kind of. So, um, I do think Boykin has a chance to get on the field early, but I think his role is going to be a clear out player, a space player. Um, I was actually impressed at his ability to beat press coverage. Um, 
but I don't think he's going to get asked to do that because he was inconsistent in how he was able to do it. So um, he's not going to get asked to do it too much. And he's really just going to ask, be asked to be big, fast and run straight. And, you know, every once in a while, if Lamar, you know, decides to toss it deep down the football field, um, Lamar's accuracy isn't great down the football field, but he has some serious arm strength. So every once in a while, um, you know, Boykin will get that shot. And that's the same thing at, you know, Notre Dame. The thing at Notre Dame was his quarterback was afraid to throw it deep, but um, he also obviously didn't really have some great deep arm strength. So that's where Boykin falls. But the fact of the matter is Boykin's so big and athletic and fast that he's going to demand the attention deep. And if he can demand the attention deep, that's where Hollywood Brown comes in and um, he can beat the uh, press coverage because I think he's going to play on the outside and he's just really quick footed. Um, he's coming back from, uh, What's it called? Uh, I forget what it is. Liz Frank. Uh, Liz Frank, yeah. So uh, foot surgery. So um, he's coming back from that, and you know his entire game is built off of foot speed. So it's obviously questionable, and that's where you know, like I keep saying, you know, maybe it will take some time to um, for all of these pieces, you know, all these rookie skill players to come together and you know figure it out together. But on paper, it makes a lot of sense when Boykin's the uh, space player, and then you got Hollywood Brown on the other side, really running that like quick passing um, slants crossers, um, everything like that, some screenplay stuff. And that's where, like I'm saying, let's go back to that idea of running the football where Lamar Jackson has the ball, Mark Ingram can run straight downhill, Justice Hill can run right to left, Boykin can run um, all the way deep, and then over the middle of the field, you start to have Hollywood Brown who can run with the ball in his hands. So um, that's where Jackson really um, – and that's where I don't like Boykin, and I do kind of um, – I don't mind Hollywood Brown in best ball. I don't really like him too, too much because – it's just like every once in a while he's going to catch one and take it and it's going to work. But um, it's similar to Justice uh, Justice Hill, except there's so many more receivers, um, you know, worthy and running back so much tougher to find in fantasy football. So um, that's where I don't love him. But I do think that Lamar's ability to, at the snap of the football, he's going to have the option to hand it to two different players, take it himself, or Marquise Brown is just there for a very quick slant and he can take, you know, take off after the pass. Because it freezes those linebackers that if those linebackers creep towards Hollywood, Mark Ingram's running straight up the gut at them. Uh, if those linebackers creep towards Hollywood the other way, then Justice Hill's running the exact other way. You know, so that's where all of a sudden you have all these speed and all these options that make it really tough. Um, Willie Sneed um, is going to start in the slot, and that's why I do think that Hollywood will be able to play or is going to play on the outside because – He's such a slot player, but because of their tight ends, I don't think they're going to do that too often. So um, there is a chance that if um, Boykin doesn't, if he's not ready for you know week one or anything, Snead could get the majority of his snaps on the outside being that clear out player. And that's why I don't love him in fantasy really too much. Um, then you start to look at it and you say um, Chris Moore um, could be in that clear out player role. Um, Jaleel Scott is more of the Hollywood Brown, but he's a bigger player than Hollywood, but um, he's a lot slower too. But uh, And then Jordan Lasley could be that clear-out player too. So they have all that deep speed on the outside. And then if Hollywood Brown got hurt, they have Willie Sneed who could be that, um, you know, that quick-hitting player. So that's for the most part, you know, how they're going to run their offense. And it does make a lot of sense on paper to where, like I said, they could really, when the ball snap, they have run-pass options and they also have um, all areas of the field options. So um, if they can pull it off right, and because they have Greg Roman, who you know was the best at it in terms of Kaepernick and Taylor and all that, um, it's interesting on paper. And like I said, it's so much zigging when everyone else is zagging, or you know the other way around because everyone else is you know spread them out, throw the football deep down the field, um, big bombs, everything like that. Um, with Lamar, a lot of his passes are going to be within you know five ten yards of the line of scrimmage, but it's going to be against you know frozen linebackers because of his. Uh, ability to run the football and all the speed and running options near the line of scrimmage. Um, it's going to create just enough space that if he can get the ball out of his hands quickly, um, they have, you know, the potential for damage. It's definitely going to take time for all of it to come together. But um, like I said, they're, they're all in on it and the upside in the long-term potential is um, really high. Sir, let's talk about tight ends here. Parks, Max Williams is gone. Nick Boyle gets a three-year extension, and they still have Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews. Um, how do you feel about this group here? Each guy kind of does something a little bit different, but no depth at all. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're gonna, they have three tight ends. They're going to keep three tight ends, and that's what's kind of funny. I do everyone. it all, Parks. I do it all. Yeah, that's what everyone's saying. Um, oh, you know, they're so uh, – they, they invest so much at tight end. It's like, yeah, they, they don't invest too, too much. I mean, yeah, they're invested at tight end. Um, they took Hayden Hurst in the first round, which is kind of unexplicable. Um, and they gave Nick Boyle like $6 million, which is a little wild too. 
But yeah, they don't really, that's like they're fully invested on Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle this season. So it'll be interesting. Um, they signed Nick Boyle because he's their best blocker of all the three tight ends and they need, you know, one blocking tight end in there. Um, because yeah, if they want to power teams over, they can do that. And then they have uh, Hayden Hurst is kind of their U player. He's their move player. Um, if you listen to, uh, or if you hear me talk about Trey Burton and how Matt Nagy uses him, that's how they would plan to use Hayden Hurst. Basically, as a similar regard to Justice Hill as a matchup identifier, except obviously um, Hurst is going to be blocking a little more, whereas Hill's going to be um, more of a pass-catching threat. And, you know, uh, Hill will take players out of the box, whereas Hurst will um, b- block, you know, the added players in the box. So um, either way, they're both matchup identifiers who can motion before the snap and make Lamar understand what's going on before the snap. So um, that's really his role. And I mean, with his injury questions, I don't like him at all in fantasy, but then the guy to own in fantasy is Mark Andrews, who I had. um, And the reason Hayden Hurst was such a weird pick was because Mark Andrews was a better tight end prospect than Hayden Hurst kind of coming out. There's just no doubt Mark Andrews, like his entire life, he's been better than Hayden Hurst. And they took uh, Andrews like three rounds later. And Andrews had so much better of a rookie season because he's better than Hayden Hurst. And he's like, Hurst is pretty old too, right? He's like 25. He got drafted by the pirates like a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, So um, yeah, he's an older prospect with injury issues who can only really be used in that, like I said, that role where he, you know, catches quick dump offs, turns up field, um, can block a little bit, everything like that. But Andrews is a guy who can go over the middle of the field and can catch the football. Um, was a real player that um, Baker Mayfield targeted a ton in Oklahoma. And um, really, you know, he didn't block too much. And that's why Nick Boyle and Hayden Hurst matter so much to Andrews. But what Andrews did a ton at Oklahoma was motion into the slide and catch passes over the middle of the field. So um, all of a sudden, there's your deep middle guy. You know, you got your deep outside guy. Your deep middle guy is Mark Andrews, um, who, by the way, last season finished uh, top 20 all time in uh, receiving yards by a tight end. And um, I think over half of it was with Lamar Jackson. So him and Lamar obviously connected with each other towards the end of last season. And um, big plays over the middle of the field was the result. So um, big plays over the deep with Boykin. Big plays over the middle with Andrews, the quick hitters with um with Hollywood Brown, and then you have all the motion and all the running backs in the Lamar Jackson run threat. Um, you look around this entire offense and you say, Lamar Jackson's in year two, Justice Hill's a rookie, Marquise Brown's a rookie, um, Boykin's a rookie, uh, Hayden Hurst is in year two, and Andrews is in year two. So, I mean, uh, that's where I keep going back to. Um, this is a lot of future projection, and we're going to see how fast it connects with each other. But the Ravens are long-term all-in invested in. This is their offense, and this is their core now. So, um, and it, it all makes sense on paper. So, um, it's really interesting to see that, uh, you know a team just say that we have a different quarterback. He's a little bit run first, and we're just gonna you know put an entire personnel grouping that highlights his skill set. So, um, we'll see if he's able to prosper. Hey, Parkson, we'll talk about the offensive line to wrap up the offense here. Um, Marshall Yonda, they thought might retire. He gets a one-year extension, so he's back. Ronnie Stanley exercised fifth-year option, drafted Ben Powers from Oklahoma at 123 parks. How do you feel about this group? It typically does start with Yonda, um, who came back last season um, from an injury. And, you know, it was always, you know, him and DeCastro, and even, uh, what's his name, Zeitler over there in Cincinnati, you know, just some of the best guard play in the NFL was – in the AFC North in every team, you know, kind of had just a stud. And um, I think it was like, like I said, uh, on the Steelers one a year or two ago, it really seemed like the Castro kind of just showed that he was one of the elite players. Um, And then Yonda gets his injury and then Yonda comes back from injury and he's good, but he's just, you know, he's not up there with, you know, top five, top, maybe, you know, lower end of top 10, he's still up there at, but um, he definitely is, you know, it's starting to slowly decline for him. And I think that one of the, I wouldn't say it's a huge question because um, I think Yonda's fine for now. And then moving forward, we'll talk about it because um, they do have some questions in terms of their interior offensive line, but in terms of left tackle, right tackle, they have, um, like you said, with Ronnie Stanley exercises deal, and he's going to be back in, 
they're going to try and get a long-term deal done with him because he's a completely fine left tackle moving forward. They drafted him top 10 because, you know, he's a left tackle that they value highly. And um, his progression has been fine. And I think that um, offensive linemen love to run block, you know, and um, I think they're getting sick of all this, you know, spacing it out stuff. So the Ravens just, you know, getting straight to run blocking. Actually, it does profile um, really well for a guy like Ronnie Stanley as well. Um, Not necessarily the same for Orlando Brown, who, really uses his long arms to help against uh, in pass protection. Um, He's a little bit better in terms of pass protection, but Orlando Brown was like um, a top 15 player on tape and then had just one of the worst combines of all time and fell to the third round and then proved in his rookie season that, you know, sometimes you got to look at the tape and not the combine um, because he had a really great season at right tackle. And that's where, you know, I just listed off all that youth on their offensive skill players. Ronnie Stanley entering his fifth year about to get his first deal. Orlando Brown is entering his second year in the NFL. Um, big bodies, big school pedigree from Oklahoma and Notre Dame, and just you know some talents that should be with this roster for the next you know five ten years. Um, those are your tackles, and that's not a bad spot to be in. The, then you move inside, and like I said, you got Yonda. That's at least fine for another season or so. Um, the questions will be who's going to start at center and guard on um, the other guard spot, left guard. Um, it seems like Matt Skira is going to start. Um, he's, they're potentially looking into signing him. Um, he started at center for the most part last season. So, um, he's, you know, I would just say average or below average potentially. So that's where it's up for grabs and it's going to be interesting to see because they also have some other names. Bradley Bozeman is another name who potentially in his second season in the NFL, I think he'll be the one competing with Skira. And I don't think Skira's job is completely locked in yet, but I think he has a good chance at it. But then you start to look into, Yes, they don't necessarily have a starting left guard, but um, James Hurst James Hurst will probably be their swing player who can play tackle or guard in terms of depth. Alex Lewis started at left guard last season, but um, I believe he has some injury concerns to him. And then there's uh, Jermaine Illuminor, who played a little bit last season, and uh, there's one other guy I'm forgetting about in there. But nonetheless, um, they have like three or four options to potentially start at, uh, at left guard. I think it's going to come down to Lewis or Hurst probably. And, um, you know, hey, they, they're not the most solid in terms of their left guard or center, but you still have a really elite player in Yonda, and the upside in your tackles is really great. So this is where I kind of um, go back to saying that, okay, maybe this isn't like, you know, Lamar took off last season, they make the playoffs, everything like that. I think he could take steps forward. I think the offense could take steps forward. I think as a young nucleus, there's a lot to it, but you really start to look and you're like, this is a really young nucleus. Um, so it's going to take time for them as well. Um, at least they do have a guy like Yonda in there who could help them. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Parksan, moving on to the defensive side of the ball where the Ravens are known to make their noise. So a ton of turnover here, Parks. Um, but we can start with the defensive line. Brent Urban is gone. Um, they ended up signing Gerald Willis as a UDFA and drafted Dalen Mack at 160th overall. Brandon Williams obviously runs back. He's the he's the centerpiece there. Parks, how do you feel about the uh, defensive line group to start? It's going to be fascinating as we get further back into their um, depth and everything to see how exactly they create pressure. Because when you really look at you know um, they're like interior kind of like two or three guys in here. Um, there's a lot of run stuffing. You know, Brandon Williams, arguably one of the best run defenders in the NFL, has a little bit of pass rush to his game. Um, enough to make him like a notable player in the NFL. And he actually did get a pretty big deal making $14 million per year. So um, they're going to rely heavily on Brandon Williams to kind of carry the line, not only in terms of taking up double teams, but add some pass rush to the defensive line because um, it doesn't, it doesn't provide too much right now. Like you said, urban's going to be gone. Michael Pierce is going to be fascinating because he's due a new contract all the talk is that he's not going to get a new contract, and he showed up like 20 pounds out of shape this offseason. Um, he chalked it up to being a nose tackle in the offseason, which you could definitely say that, but um, he's not going to get you know that added. Uh, he's a nose tackle through and through, you know, and he's a good one, and he's a good run defender. But um, between Williams and Pierce, they're stout up front. You know, they're really defending the run, but they're not getting after the quarterback too too much. Uh, Chris Wormley from Michigan, Willie Henry from Michigan. Um, I would say Wormley's more the upfield penetrator of the uh, of those two, but nonetheless, I you know 
what kind of pass rush are you really getting out of those two? I think Henry is a better run defender than anything right now. And I think Wormley just needs to show that he can consistently get on the field, um, could potentially be an inside-outside player, um, filling in for that Brett Urban role um, last season. Then, like you said, Daylon Mack is the purest of nose tackles. He's the guy that's going to, oh, Michael Pierce, you want to show up out of shape and you think you're going to get a contract? Um, Daylon Mack just took your job, buddy. That's where a guy like Daylon Mack could come into. And Gerald Willis, I was not a fan of. Um, I know some people said second, third round, and I said sixth, seventh, and then he went UDFA. So I'm not expecting anything out of him. He's also an older prospect too. So um, yeah, that's it for their interior guys. It's a lot of run stuffing. And you're just saying, you know, which one of these guys can get off field and create pressure, um, especially as, like I said, as we get further back, it gets interesting. Parks, and we can move on to the edge now. Um, Terrell Suggs and Zadari Smith are both gone. Um, we're looking at Shane Ray coming in. Jalen Ferguson falls to 85th overall. They grab him there. Um, we're still looking at guys like Tyus Bowser, Matt Judon, and Tim Williams. Um, how do you kind of see this group playing out? Some pretty interesting names here. It's year three of Tim Williams, and I mean, I'm kind of hoping to see him break out as someone who hyped him up before the draft and um, haven't seen any like real signs other than, you know, every once in a while he provides decent rotational play. But I mean, the the roll's up for grabs. Like you said, um, Zadarius Smith and Terrell Suggs are gone. So um, it'll be interesting. What's interesting about those two is how they were used. Suggs was more of a player who um, could put his hand down or could also stand up off of the football, whereas Zadarius Smith was a player who could play um, the 3-4 outside linebacker but could also um, kind of uh, stunt on the inside, similar to how the Texans kind of used Jadavian Clowney. So um, that's basically – they're two similar – or um, two different players in terms of their usage. Um, I think for the most part, they're going to try and get the Zadarius Smith role from Tyus Bowser because Bowser's like a really souped-up athlete – who hasn't put the pieces together yet, but um, kind of um, in terms of like his body type, you could say similar to Leonard Floyd. And based on that, you say that's a player who could um, play that 3-4 outside linebacker and stand up and rush the passer, but could also slide into that middle linebacker role. And um, I think Tyus Bowser is key because um, there's no, you know, they don't have much edge rusher help that they can trust and rely on. And um, what they did last season for the most part with uh, – it was Wink Martindale's first time uh, as the defensive coordinator. What he really did last season was um, just kind of having, you know, they're so versatile in their cornerbacks, and we're going to start to bring that up, but they switch everything. They play man straight up, and they just kind of like six guys are standing around the line of scrimmage, and you don't really know who's covering who because they're so prone to switching everything that they kind of just create pressure on their own. So that, and you look at these edge rushers and you look at their defensive line and you say, well, they're not going to create pressure from their defensive line. Um, I'm starting to say Tyus Bowser, the best way for him to create pressure is um, being used in terms of being schemed, you know, being schemed in terms of um, how Wink Martindale did it last season. So that's how he has to step up and do it. Um, Matt Judon, I think is going to fill in for the Terrell Suggs role. And I think that's a lot more seamless than, um, some people would think, I think Judon's had like seven sacks the past couple seasons. So um, he's actually a pretty reliable pass rusher. The question with him will be, um, can he set the edge consistently and put his hand out and everything like that? Um, that's where they drafted uh, Jalen Ferguson. He's a guy who was a great pass rusher um, in college in terms of his technique, but was really just terrible at the combine. Him and Tim Williams had really bad combines, and it hasn't happened for Tim Williams yet. And I'd, I would bet on Williams before Ferguson. But um, the thing with Ferguson is he can set the edge. So you're hoping between Judon and Ferguson, you can get a combination of pass rush and edge setting. And then with Tyus Bowser, um, and just based on scheme, you're hoping that um, you could get that, uh, just the mix up uh, in terms of their versatility and being able to uh, blitz and everything like that. But that's where you look and you say, um, they it's going to be tough for them to create pressure up front but other than schematically so um it's going to be interesting to see how wink you know every week he has to throw the kitchen sink at teams so um you know how many times can you dial one up and dial one up until teams start to figure it out um that's really that's the biggest question mark with their front uh heading into the uh regular season sir parks and moving back here to the inside linebackers here um Pernell McPhee gets a one-year deal. Onwusor gets a one-year extension as well. Um, everybody else looks like they're just running it back here. Parks, how do you feel about these guys? Yeah, they let C.J. Mosley go. But like I said, I, I didn't think 
I thought he was overrated as it was, and then just got a ton of money, way too much. Yeah, yeah, way too much money, especially when, as the season went on, they started to look. And um, you can listen to Winks, uh, some of his talk about, you know, we'll always butcher his name, but Anwusar or whatever, um, talked really about his progression, and I talked about it as the season went on that he's a lot better in coverage than C.J. Mosley. And now Wink wants him to call the plays a la C.J. Mosley. So um, I, I'm expecting a big season forward from him because um, I think the coaching staff saw as the season progressed that um, he's he's better in space. Mosley's a much better downhill run defender. But you look at who's in front of him and you say, like, they're designed to defend the run based on their front. You know, it's easier to defend the run than it is to defend the pass because um, it's going to be hard for them to create pass rush. They have a lot of great run defenders in their front. Uh, in their front, They don't have a lot of pass rushers. Um, they have to create pass rushers with guys like Anwuswar just being fast and flying around and everything like that. But they also need these guys to hold up in coverage. Um, and that's where Mosley was really, you know, at his worst. And that's where he was at his best. Um, then you look into Anthony Levine. Um, is he a safety? Is he a cornerback? Is he a linebacker? He's, you know, kind of just a Swiss army knife that they used a ton last season because um, they can one manipulate boxes and then two, you know, just send him on blitzes, but he's also, he can defend anyone from slot receivers to tight ends to corner, you know, to uh, running backs to you name it. Um, Anthony Levine's a lot more valuable than people, you know, would assume. Kenny Young arguably is the best run defender of the group. And then um, Wink Martindale keeps talking up Chris Board as if, you know, he's a guy who could potentially um, get some work in here. So um, you, you look at it between Levine, Young, and Board, I think they're saying that these are three players that have better pass coverage than C.J. Mosley. And if they can do enough against the run because our defensive line is built to defend the run, if they can do enough against the run, they're actually going to be better because they're so much more equipped in terms of their pass coverage and they save so much money um, in the long term. So a lot of people are saying, oh, my goodness, C.J. Mosley, the fall of the defense. I'm saying um, the fall of their defense is if they can't create enough pressure up front. Um, and they're consistently relying on these guys for long terms in coverage. Um, that's where it's an issue. But the versatility and the way that they're able to mix and match them, um, it's going to be on Wink to you know pull the right cards. But he did it last season and was pretty successful. Um, it'll be interesting. Hey, Parks, and moving on to the back end, uh, we'll start with the corners here, Parks. Uh, we thought Jimmy Smith was going to be released or cut by them, but he's coming back on a $15.85 million Last year, his deal here, Parks, um, they ended up exercising the 2019 option of Brandon Carr. Tavon Young gets a three-year extension, is now the highest-paid nickelback in the league. Um, Marlon Humphrey's an absolute stud now. They ended up um, signing Terrell Bonds from the AAF, uh, Iman Marshall, 127 overall from USC, I believe, and also get Justin Bethel on a two-year deal there, Parks. How do you feel about this group? It looks pretty loaded, and they have a ton of depth. Yeah, it's absolutely loaded, and that's where they can suffice some of their pass rush with the fact that they think that they're so versatile, um, not only in their linebackers and being able to mix blitzes, but also in their secondary and being able to switch everything. So um, that's where it's going to be fascinating. Um, like you said, I think in the in the perfect world, Jimmy Smith stays healthy. Um, when Jimmy Smith is healthy, he's still a really talented cornerback. Um, I know Michael Thomas just took his lunch. It was like the first game he was back from injury, though. Um, Michael Thomas just really owned him. But ever since then, um, I think he had some pretty good games. So um, uh, Jimmy Smith is still a talented cornerback as long as he's healthy. And like you said, Marlon Humphrey is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, you know, moving forward, in my opinion, heading into year three, um, had a really strong season in this Raven, Ravens defense. So um, if you see him take a step forward and you see Smith, there's some outside players. And there's Brandon Carr, who, um, because when Jimmy Smith got healthy, Brandon Carr had to move into the slot and just said, you know, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it in stride. Um, they started mixing and matching, you know, giving Jimmy Smith a series or two off. Brandon Carr can play a little bit because uh, Tavon Young was injured last season. But like you said, Tavon Young was injured and they still gave him a three-year extension and some pretty good nickelback money because they think he can play the slot pretty well. Um, you start to look into some of their slot players. Uh, Maurice Canaday can play the slot. Anthony Averett from Alabama can play the slot. Cyrus Jones from Alabama can play the slot. Um, and Marlon Humphreys from Alabama. You know, Ozzie Newsome uh, was a big-time Alabama guy. But you do look at this in um, with all those slot players. Um, that's nickel and diming teams. And that's what you're starting to say is that um, 
like I said, up front, they could stop the run with two players on their defensive line, or they could really um, impact the run with two players on their defensive line. And then it's mixing coverages in with our edge players, um, mixing blitzes with our edge players, mixing coverages in with our linebackers. And then all these cornerbacks, we're just going to play man, we're going to press jam, and we're going to switch everything. And um, there's potential it's going to work. Um you know, it worked. It worked in bits and pieces last season, and they just added in terms of you know, young comes back, and you know, some of these other guys are healthier, um, and in the mix. Like you said, Marshall is you know a safety who could play cornerback. Um, might take a year on the practice squad, but either way, when you have those two players on the outside, and you have like five guys who can switch anything on the inside, um, it's it's an interesting secondary, and they're doing things you know differently on offense, and they're doing things differently on defense, saying that um. They don't think they think that they if they can switch everything on the back end and they can make quarterbacks hold the ball, that the quarterback's going to make the mistake on their own, you know. Whereas um, the pass rush, you know, oh, pass rush makes the quarterback make mistakes or does good coverage make the quarterback make the mistake. Um, the Ravens are betting on coverage right now, so it's going to be interesting. Parks in to round out the Ravens before we get in a little recap and talk some betting. Parks Eric Weddle is gone at the safety position, but your boy Earl Thomas gets a four year deal and goes to Baltimore. He teams up with Tony Jefferson back there, Parks, and they have a little bit of depth as well. How do you feel about this group to round out secondary? Right, and this is where I go back to, in my opinion, the money that you spent on Earl Thomas is so much smarter than the money that the Jets spent on C.J. Mosley. It just, in my opinion, and I mean, think about the teams that did it, the Ravens and the Jets. Which team overpaid for the overrated guy and which one got the underrated guy coming off the injury? You know, like, let's just think about it for a second. Um, and really, you know, when you look at Seattle last season, you say, oh, they lost Earl Sherm, Michael Bennett still made the playoffs, you know, no big deal. Cam Chancellor still made the playoffs, no big deal. But you say um, their offense made strides. Um, and they were a much better running um, team. And Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson was just unbelievable how they were able to connect with each other. You don't say their defense took a step forward. You say um, Frank Clark took a step forward, then they traded him. But um, their defense did not take a step forward. Their defense took a big step back. Um, especially without Earl Thomas and Earl Thomas has been for my money, one of the most underrated players in a really long time because he just defends sideline to sideline and you just can't throw the football deep. Like <laughs> how valuable is it in a sport where like you have to flip the field in some regard, like you can't just con every play nickel and dime people, but you can't throw it deep. <laughs> you know, like that's, it's hard because he's there every single time, sideline to sideline knows everything. Um, he's smarter than you because he'll bait you into throwing something thinking it's open and then he'll take it from you. So um, his role is going to be fascinating because he's typically played cover three, um, mainly like a single high type of role in the cover three. Um, I think they're because they're, it's going to be similar in that he's going to play that sideline to sideline role of free safety. I still think, but it's going to be different because um, like I said, they're going to play so much band and they're going to switch everything. Whereas, you know, it's always Sherman's on the left. Another guy's on my right. You know, that's how we do it. Um, like I said, they're going to switch guys, follow guys, um, blitz completely differently than they have. But I still think Thomas is going to have the same role. And I think that when you're mixing blitzes like the Ravens do, and when you're mixing coverages like the Ravens do, how nice is it to know that in the back end, the big plays, you know, if we bust the coverage, we got the best player in the entire world back there in Earl Thomas. Um, he's a little bit older, sure, but he's also, and he's coming off the injury, but um, it's also, it was like a broken leg and a freak injury. So it's not something that, um, it's not like hamstrings or anything like that, like soft tissue that you are afraid could potentially continue. It's just a freak injury. So um, Earl Thomas, for my money, makes the Ravens defense better than CJ Mosley makes it worse. Um, there are, like I said, all the other factors that will make it interesting, but um, Earl Thomas does make it great. And like I said, the fact that they're betting on uh, coverage over pressure, it just seems like the way that they're, you know, building their team. They want to cover teams and then control the clock on offense. So, um, you know, Hey, they have some of the, they have the pieces for the most part. Um, it's just, like I said, a lot of it's so young, Tony Jefferson, um, really great box player. Um, the combination, I mean, it's arguably the best box player in the NFL and the best free safety in the NFL. Um, and I know they just lost Eric Weddle and I'm like, yeah, they might've got better at safety, but, um, it, it all depends on Earl Thomas, but it's definitely the potential too is, um, in the mix. Then you got the Sean Elliott from Texas who um, could play a little bit of the dime role. 
um, could also play downhill in the Tony Jefferson role. And then Chuck Clark could also play some safety too. So they have enough depth there. And like I said, it's just, it's just going to be fascinating because they're not going to get home without dialing up blitzes. And um, they're just going to rely on their coverage to switch everything and also have Earl over the top as their safety blanket. So they're going to get so risky. Um, Wink Martindale is going to get so risky with his play calling. It's going to be, they're more than like any team. They're so fascinating because like I keep saying, um, on offense and defense, they're going a completely different direction than everybody else. So um, it'll be interesting to see you know, what they get out of that. you have anything you want to add in, in a recap, Parks, or did you kind of hit on it there? Um, yeah, I think that was about it. You know, um, my big questions, because like I said, on paper, that offense looks so good. Um, obviously, the youth and just like I don't think it's all going to connect overnight. That's where I have my issues with them. And also the right guard and center, I would like to see um, – especially with a guy like Lamar Jackson, it'd be nice to see them get, you know, just a long-term center that they trust for, for you know, moving forward. Um, I don't mind Skira, but I think that's one of their biggest questions. And then, yeah, they're secondary. So, um, yeah, you want to get into their uh, over-under? Yeah, Parks, we're looking at uh, eight wins shaded towards the over at minus 130. Um, or if you like eight and a half, you can get that over at plus 105. Um, how do you feel about that? I feel like that line's pretty on. It's pretty on, honestly. I see them um, maybe winning seven, maybe winning eight. I don't – I mean, like I said, I think there's a chance that if it all connects and Lamar takes that step and their defense is right back to where it was, um, they could get back to the 9-10. But I really think that um, they're going to try a lot of new things. They're going to be a little experimental. It's going to take some time for the uh, offense to gel together. I, like I said, I think Lamar in fantasy is great value. I think Justice Hill at his price is pretty good, especially in best ball. But I do think that potentially they um, they take the long path and they've they've taken the long path as it is. And they're going to treat this season as Lamar's rookie season because all of his skill players are rookies. And it's the first time the offense is built around him. And then next season, they're going to really evaluate and try to take that um, that step that, you know, a lot of teams try to take um, when their team's on a rookie deal contract. So um, that is why um, if you listen to the Steelers one, um, I said that I'm not you know, saying the Steelers are dead yet. And I'm thinking they're right there with the Browns because I have the Ravens at eight and eight. So, I mean, it's a slight lean to the under maybe if you want to say that, but um, that's just where I have them. I think they're going to be a little bit of middle of the road, figuring some things out. And then um, potentially next off season when all these guys are in year two and Lamar's in year three and they take that step forward. Um, that's kind of what they're hoping for in my opinion. Parks, and that just does it for the Baltimore Ravens. We've covered half the AFC North. We'll move on to the two Ohio teams next. So if you guys are listening to this as a Ravens or Steelers fan, be sure to finish out listening to the rest of the division, and we'll let you know how we think it's going to shape out.